Welcome to the 2011 Region 2 Convention. My name is Sherry. I'm a compulsive reader and the moderator for the session. Hello, Sherry. Hello. Uh, they wanted me to read some announcements. Um, Bush, are you having a good time? Yay. We'd like, to, we'd like you to take advantage of all the other things this convention has to offer to help Region 2 carry the message. If you like what you heard and want to take it with you so you can have it all year round, please stop by the recording center tables outside the Houston room. They have CDs and MP3 downloads from all the sessions. If you saw Maria's stylish outfits during the play last night, they were all from the Rags to Riches Boutique. Stop by and see what gems you can find. They're in the Philadelphia room. Next door to the boutique is our silent auction. Bid on Dodger tickets, a computer printer, airline tickets, and other wonderful prizes. Also, we have magnets and pins with every program saying known to man. Don't miss it. Visit our hospitality suite to have a quiet place to talk, find out about local places to visit, and look at somewhere from other inner groups. And finally, we have T-shirts for sale. I'm wearing one. Right across from the registration desk. So, please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. Will everyone who cares to please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The title of this panel is We All Belong, Traditions 1 and 3. The format for this session is a reading from our literature, three speakers, and questions from the Ask It Basket. I will pass around the basket. That's it's like a big bucket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass it on a basket with paper and pencils for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are directing a question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving, even if you have already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they did not have when the basket first passed. So I will read a, a selection from pages 109 and 129 of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Obedience Anonymous. Recovery began for most of us when we got out of isolation and into an OA group. Here we discovered we were never meant to live alone. As we opened our hearts to other OA members, we found acceptance, a sense of belonging, and unity with other compulsive overeaters that satisfied us in ways food never could. In Overeaters Anonymous, we have only one requirement, a desire to stop eating compulsively. No person who has this desire can be barred from any OA group. OA members come from many different backgrounds, races, and religions. We can and do have differences in opinions, political views, values, lifestyles, age, gender, sexual orientation, and economic status. A person can never be too overweight, too underweight, or too normal in weight to be an OA member. Our first speaker is Jim B. from Oak Park, who will speak for like, 20 minutes. Thanks. Um, I'm Jim B., of course, and I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Jim. Uh, this is my third time uh, back uh, abs getting abstinence in O Readers Anonymous. I started in uh, 1989, and uh, I lived in Antelope Valley, and uh, 
and I've had uh, three fall-offs. This is well, this is my third time back, and I have uh, close to four years of abstinence now, and I'm down 55 pounds. And, um, thank you. Again. And you know, I think I think it would have been a lot more if if I hadn't been a compulsive exerciser. You know, after reading um, some literature, uh, I realized that well, maybe some bulimia might be the exercising and not just you know getting. It's another form of getting rid of the food. But um, anyway, um, about the uh, you know the traditions. You know, I you know I you know when I first started coming to meetings, I, I would I would I would read them and I would uh, or I'd hear them and I'd actually intellectualize the traditions but then after a while I just quit listening to them they were just seemed boring you know and uh, you know some some of the tradition you know the this is the main one though uh, that you know how do we become a member if we want to join and uh, and I already knew that and so but I gotta admit uh, I, I don't get into traditions um, and and when I really listen to them is when I'm chosen to read the traditions at the beginning of the meeting. But um, but the real key and and, and uh, if you read the, the the 12 and 12 on the traditions for Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, they talk about they talk about uh, arguing about deciding what what makes us a member of our group. And of course, they're talking about being a drunk. And you know we get we you know and and we like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous get people from all stages and and we have bulimia and we have anorexia and and we have people that come in and and they don't look like they're overweight but you know um, I, and I, I learned from uh, speakers like Dan you know I and I Dan uh, when I first started coming back my third time. I see Dan speaking in Oak Park, but he's moved to Santa Barbara, and and he he has a great thing, and and he talk about the sick sick thinking, you know, you know, and we can't stop it, you know, and 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 that's part of it. I just can't stop the thinking, and uh, and 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 that's my disease, and all I have to do is want to stop eating compulsively. I don't have to stop and think. Uh, well, I have to do the twelve steps. Well, it's recommended. But as, as to be a, to be a member and to come to the twelve to Overeaters Anonymous, I don't have to do the twelve steps. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that I have to have you eat three three meals a day and nothing in between. It, it it doesn't say that I have to to be an overeater versus an anorexic. It just says I want to stop my disease. I want to I want to stop eating. I want to I want to stop eating. Compulsively, and uh, so when when I come when I come to the meeting and and when I was eating and I was out like twelve years and I I knew you know even though I wasn't listening to the traditions I, I you know I, I knew the traditions I knew I was accepted there and I and I'd come to the meetings for twelve years the last for twelve years I was out and I couldn't stop eating my my mind wouldn't. I couldn't control my mind, and I still can't control my mind. It's not me that takes over the mind. It's 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 what my sponsor told me. It's your higher power. There's nothing in in my human power that can stop me from my sick thinking, and part of it is 
my overeating is, is my higher power. But let, let's get back to this, to, to the main thing, main thing of this. If I didn't, if I didn't know this tradition, I probably wouldn't have, I probably would have quit coming back at all. I, I would have just slipped away and said, I'm not a member because I'm not doing the 12 steps and I'm not, uh, eating abstinently and, uh, or, or whatever. Or I am, I have not admitted I'm a compulsive overeater. All I have to do is say, I'm, all I have to do when I come here is I'm, is I want to stop eating. And, and, and that's a gift. And, and as to, as to the other part, you know, um, this is the only place, uh, the organization where we get along and we can come from all walks of life. And we have, and we have our opinions. I mean, where can an atheist and a born again really get along? And, and, and actually have a program. And actually, uh, you know, it's our unity. And, and we've been going on for years without, without major disruptions. It's, it's, uh, and, and we all have our higher power and an atheist can, can have a higher power that's not a religious higher power and, and we can, and we can, uh, work and resolve our different, our, our problem in the program. And, and I, I wouldn't be here. I just tell you right now. And, and thanks. I, I don't have a lot to say about it, but anyway, thanks for being here. And we're, we're competing against the 100 pounder meeting that crossed the way. <laughs> I'm going to leave it up to Dan and Mary. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Our second speaker is Nancy J. from Kelowna, Del Mar. So we'll speak for 20 minutes. Hi, my name is Nancy, and I'm a very grateful, recovering, and abstinent compulsive eater. Um, I'll try and get the um, numbers out of the way. I, um, my, my program date is September 28, 1973. If God allows me to live to the end of September this year, I intend to mark 38 years in program. And that has been, thank you, and, and thank God. And that has been interrupted by five months after I was in program. For two years, I decided that I could, I needed some more research and development with food. And that didn't work. So, uh, by the grace of God and the fellowship, I made it back. And I've been around long enough to know that there are people who go out there and eat and don't make it back. And they've died from compulsive eating. And so, that's why when I identify as a grateful compulsive eater, that's one of the things that I'm grateful for is that I was able to get back because I don't ever want to go back into that snake pit again. And, um, and, and I just, I bless the people at my original meetings because they're the ones that kept calling me and saying, you know, uh, can you come back? And, um, I have, um, and by the grace of God and the fellowship of OA, uh, with the exception of about 10 pounds that the menopause wrecking crew left right around my middle, I'm maintaining over 145 pound weight loss. Thank you. Um, when I got this assignment to, um, on Traditions 1 and 3, 
I um I I did a lot of thought about it as I have before. I have had the privilege to serve in every level of service that over Overeaters Anonymous has to offer. And uh starting out, you know, with washing the coffee cups and ashtrays, just about everybody smoked when I got to OA. Uh probably 98% of the people, now there's probably 98% of the people don't smoke. Thank you God. And um, that was before styrofoam was invented. Some of you may not remember that, but um, at any rate, that taught me the discipline. Um, Tradition 1 says that our common welfare should come first, that personal recovery depends upon OA unity. And when I got here, that's exactly what they emphasized, because I, I came into a 12-step meeting, and once a month, the first... Friday night of the month, they would um, they would study the tradition of the month. And they said that they were together. They told me an interesting thing. They said um, the 12 steps are suicide prevention, the 12 traditions are homicide prevention, and the 12 concepts of service are genocide prevention. <laughs> so that's the way it's kind of been. Um, they They told me some things that I didn't understand. But they said, this is not like any other diet program that you've ever been on. This is not a diet and calories program. This is a fellowship. And it's uh, we meet together to discuss and to study and to abide by 12 traditions because those are the things that teach us how to play in the sandbox together. See? And, um, and so consequently, they said, you need always, always, Ask yourself, when you're making any kind of a decision in this room, meaning the meeting room, what's good for the meeting as a whole? You know, what do I share in a meeting that's good for the meeting as a whole? What can I take away from the meeting that I have heard someone share that's good for the meeting as a whole? Because if it's good for the meeting as a complete unit, it's going to be good for me. And it's something that I can rely on and trust. And and that was my initial introduction to trust. And I got to tell you, the night that I went to that first meeting in Madison Heights, Michigan, they were on step eight. Well, I didn't even know, and I wasn't willing to say that night, for you newcomers, I wasn't willing to say that I was a compulsive overeater because I didn't know that I was a compulsive overeater. I thought I just had a little fat problem. And um, I was really confused because when I walked into that room that night, um, I I didn't know if I was a drunk compulsive eater or a fat alcoholic. And it turned out that I ended up being both. But And I've come to realize through subsequent inventories and probably in the time that I've been here in, and been involved in two programs, I have I've done at least 100 inventories. And every single one has always um, revealed something that I missed before. And, and sometimes some of those rascal character defects that I can't get rid of, they keep popping up. And I have reached a point in my life where I realize now that some of those things are inherent in the disease. You know, they are things that I have actively practiced the removal of of them, but they still come, keep coming back up. And it's important for me, and I think the reading that she gave here talked about the end of isolation. That's why I wasn't willing to really 
say that I was a compulsive eater because I didn't realize I was in isolation. We never do. And that's another inherent nature of our diseases, for me anyway, that it, it blinds me. It blinds me to my needs. It blinds me to what I am. And it blinds me to what your needs are. And it, if you're sitting in this room, it's going to be about, all about you and all about the food until it's not about you and it's not about the food. And I can't tell you when that happens. All I can tell you is that I pretty much travel in the company of a lot of long-timers and, and, um, and also newcomers. And every single long-timer that I know will tell you at some point in time, for me it was around 10 years, I came to realize that it really wasn't about the food. It was about being part of a unit that provides recovery. And it's about part of, you know, somebody said at a meeting that I think opened my eyes, and that is if you were in a cancer unit or you were losing both limbs on your legs to diabetes and they told you that in order to be completely whole and well, all you had to do was follow a few simple rules, which is our spiritual in nature, um, would you be willing to do it? Walk down a cancer ward someday and just see how the people are suffering. And you know what? Our, our names and faces are different, but we're suffering too because we have an incurable disease. And I believe that with every fiber of my being. And I don't have a way out. I had tried every weight loss gimmick and scheme uh, known to humankind, and they all worked for a little while but then I would return to the weight I was plus a few pounds. And I would lose enormous amounts of weight at one time. And it wasn't until I got to Overeaters Anonymous and was able to be a viable, active part of a meeting where I was learning how to recover. And it's an endless process. It's a, the big book calls it a lifelong learning program. It wasn't until then that I came to realize that I, uh, that's the only way I am going to have a remission of this potentially fatal illness. And, um, and it was through the 12 steps, and it was honoring the 12 traditions. Um, and so I, I'm part of, of, a, of a whole group. I'm just another compulsive eater that's enjoying a brief reprieve from a potentially fatal illness. And that's what it amounts to. I'm no better or no, no worse than anybody else. And you know what? Um, the, the playing field is level here. I don't care how much weight you lose or gain or what difference it makes. Our lives change by being in Overeaters Anonymous. And it provided me with the only sense of permanence that I have ever known. And so it is not with pride that I tell you that for 37 years I have been able to maintain an abstinence. It's yay, OA, because I was never able to do that. I was 32 years old when I got here. I'd spent 20 years on diet pills, and for four months be before I got here, I'd hit the street for speed. And I'm very grateful that there wasn't the designer drugs that they have nowadays, you know, or I would have been up to my eyeballs in those, too. And But... OA provided something that those other things lacked. You introduced me to a God that I could do business with. 
because I had walked away from that childhood concept of God because it just didn't work for me. And I can't tell you the amount of nights that I cried at the foot of my bed on my knees praying that God would just make me thin. And it never worked. And I would cry myself to sleep praying, and I would wake up the next morning, and I would still be fat. And it never occurred to me until I came to you. And when I came to you, you didn't say we're going to fix you or we're going to rescue you. You said to me, put your hand in ours, and we'll do this thing together. That was really important for me, really important. Um, Tradition uh, 3 says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. And to me, those go hand in hand. And when I was reading today's For Today, I love this little book. I mean, I like, not For Today, Voices of Recovery. I like For Today as well, but this one specifically touches my heart because it was a book that was written by OA members for OA members, not by an editor someplace. And so today's uh, one says, Being a part of the group is essential to recovery from our disease of isolation. Isolation? Me? Isolation? I was involved, I was a Girl Scout leader, I was involved in my church and in my community and, 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 and the PTA and everything else that came, I hardly could be called isolating, but you know what? That's the, that's the bubble I lived in, with that isolation bubble. Um, it means supporting and being supported by our fellow OA members. OA is not a population, I mean, a, um, popularity contest, nor is it a competition. It's a fellowship that loves and supports each other and accepts uh, our, each other just the way we are. There are three factions that I've been able to determine. Let me finish this. This passage tells me that I have a disease of isolation, and the solution is to be part of the group. It also tells me that being part of the group means that I support my fellow OA members and they support me. When I first came to OA, I didn't feel part of anything. Not in anything in my life. I never felt that I belonged or that I fit in anywhere. OA tells me that I do belong because I am a compulsive overeater. And, oh, and incidentally, just want to interject, it was about 11 years of inventories, about my 11th year that I found out that I had practiced anorexia bulimia, too, in a segment of my life, a lengthy segment. I had uh, destroyed my body with malnutrition. And I had the, the speed, the diet pills, form wonderful little things um, that I didn't have any control over have wrecked my circulation. And so I have, I have problems that I'm dealing with as a result of that. Um, OA tells me I do belong because I'm a compulsive overeater. It doesn't, tell, it doesn't matter how much I weigh, how much money I earn, or what color my hair is, or anything else. I belong, and I am equal in OA. I isolated because I was afraid to let anyone know me. Being a part of the group allowed me to open up a little at a time. As I felt more a part of the group, I felt more of the support available to me. From that, I learned to support others. Together, we could do do what we could never do alone. My first meeting, they were doing step eight. And when they went around the table and shared about making a list of people they had harmed and became willing to make amends to them, I thought, where is the door? 
um, let me out of here. This is some sort of a cult. I mean, you know, I don't know what I've got to jump through in order to do this, but um, I, I don't want anything to do with this. I did not trust anybody. I didn't trust you. I didn't trust me. I didn't trust God. I didn't trust anybody. All I knew was that I was too fat. And so I expected that sometime before the night was over, two things were going to happen. Either, number one, they were going to drag out the scales and put me in line to, thank you, they were going to put me in line to um, uh, to get me weighed so that some blabbermouth that was standing there could announce to God and everybody in the room how much I weighed, or that they were going to take me into a secret room and show me the, the secret handshake or give me the password, see, to where um, everything would be different. Because they kept saying, oh, it was different, and oh, it was different. But you want to know something? I've come to find that um, that started drawing me out of the isolation. It started making me a part of. My whole life I had felt like the kid standing at the candy store window, nose pressed against the glass, watching everybody out there enjoy life and having a good time. And I never fit. I had, I was the missing piece. And um, I've got, somebody gave me a, a little a little tiny jigsaw puzzle piece um, about 10 years ago when I led a retreat in another state. And, um, and they said, here's the missing piece. You don't ever have to be the missing piece again. And I took it home and framed it. And I, I keep it um, on my entertainment center so that I can remember every single day that I am no longer a missing piece. And that all I have to do is, my sponsor once told me, recovery is only seven digits away. You know, get out of yourself and you'll be amazed at how much when you move out of that in isolation that you move into the fellowship. Stop thinking about you, Nancy, because it, you're only a member of Overeaters Anonymous and I'm only one day at a time uh, attempting to stay abstinent and to maintain that abstinent and that um, and that I need the spiritual help that I can. And in identifying with each other, that's the spirituality of this program. Um, I have a, a relationship with my higher power today that is through you. You see, this, the higher power that you introduced to me, which I call God, is the recovery energy that's in this room or any room of Overeaters Anonymous. I no longer accept the old man in the long white beard and the flowing robes in some heavenly throne that has lightning in one hand and thunder in the other. And when I was bad, I got zapped. And when I was good, he was looking the other way. It doesn't work anymore. What works is the energy that I feel when I walk into the meeting of an Overeaters Anonymous. When I walk into that room, it's charged. It's charged with positive energy because there are people there that are recovering, each in their own attempt. They don't do it all my way. Can you imagine that? Um, and I don't do it all their way. We have a large spectrum. Um, there are people who are really, really dedicated to a rigid food plan, and that's because they need that discipline. And that's the way it was when I got here. Everybody was eating the same thing. It was the old gray sheet, you know. And so there was a certain camaraderie that developed there. Now, you know, now we walk around saying, I'm having an attack of gray sheet grief. 
you know. But then there are the people who say you don't need to follow a food plan. You know, you just read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and substitute food where and, and compulsive eater where it's appropriate, and you will lose your weight. And then there is the large body of mainstream, which is somewhere in between. And as every single person in this room is an individual, your names and faces and mine are all different, you know what? Our food plans are different like that. And I have found, you know, April 27th, I turned 70 years old. And I found once I hit 60, I had earthquake about 9.9 .9 on the Richter scale because I found that aging makes me have to change my food plan. And, and there were things that I had to include in that food plan that scared me to death. There were things that I had to exclude that scared me to death. And my sponsor said, well, remember when you went on maintenance? It was one thing at a time, one day at a time. That's the same way. And so I need, I know now that this human body has to make changes as we go along. And so I have become not quite so resistant to change. And I submit to you that when I came in here, that was the thing that scared me to death the most, was the fear of change. And yet it was the very thing that I needed to do. And, and I wouldn't have made it without you. Um, I don't know anybody that would make it without you. And that is the whole spirit of Traditions 1 and 3, is that we bond together to do what's, what's good for the best of us all while operating on our own particular program. And the only requirement is just a desire to stop eating compulsively, even if you don't know it. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy. Just a reminder, if you could pass, to continue to pass the Ask It Basket around, just to make sure it gets around the room. Thank you. Our third and final speaker is Daniel from Santa Barbara, who will speak for 20 minutes as well. Okay. Good afternoon. Can I raise the mic? How about like that? Is that better? Yeah. Jessica, I need you to do me a favor. Would you pass these pictures around? I came into the Overeaters Anonymous. I'm Daniel, Composable Reader. I need to remember what meeting I'm in. Uh, and um, so I came in 1983, and uh, they wanted me to lose weight at work because the insurance company was really uh, baffling about either getting rid of me or get me some help. So they got me this therapist to talk about why I was overweight. Now, um, I'd already sobered up through another program and cleaned up, blah, blah, blah. But 1983, now they wanted me to lose weight. Well, all my life, I've always wanted to lose weight. Uh, the pictures that are going around, <clears throat> uh, at four years old, um, I, always, I already felt different. But yet, I was very thin. I almost looked like, looked like from an orphanage, really. <laughs> but anyway, um, but I always felt different in some sense. And as I grew, 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 I got fatter and fatter and fatter. Uh, but that job got me to look into Overdose Anonymous and that therapist, beautiful brunette, you know, tall, legs up to here. And uh, she says, you got to go to Overdose Anonymous. I said, oh, okay, I'll go to Overdose Anonymous. So I went there and she wasn't there. So I said, okay, fine. So that's fine. So I stayed and I started, and I started going to Overdose Anonymous in Linwood, California, in uh, St. Francis Hospital, Tuesday night, I believe it was. And there I started, uh, there was this woman talking, and there was this woman at the end of the, of the, at the podium, uh, and she was a small little woman, and they, all of a sudden they gave me her Polaroid, and this woman was as wide as she was tall. 
And I'm going, what the heck? They said, who's that? Well, that's the speaker. I said, no way. <laughs> no, no, that can't be possible. And uh, so as, uh, as I got into Overeaters Anonymous, I, 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 you guys, the, the gray sheet really worked, you know, uh, and the dignity of choice, it really works. If you really stick to it, you will lose the weight. I mean, you, know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that if you cut down on your meals, you lose weight. The problem is, why is it they always go back to eating more? That's what that's the baffling part. So um, I'm here to tell you that I learned a long time ago to be a victim. A long time ago, perhaps when I was four years old. Usually, the the human brain doesn't have the capacity to remember beyond four years old, but that's as far as I can remember. And I learned that if I suffered, and I was a victim. Things would happen. So, so I learned that from that long ago. So anyway, um, I discovered food, and my grandmother was my cook, and uh, or she would cook for us, and um, she always rewarded me with food here. And at four years old, that's great that she should give you something extra, whatever it is, and it was always so good. And and I and so as I grew up, well, I as I go into elementary, I think the one that was I'm a kid, a little older kid, I think I'm right there, I'm probably around eight years old or something like that. Now, by then, now the difference is starting to settle in. Now you're no longer picked to go to to, uh, to play tag or baseball or softball or handball, whatever. They, they always pick you last. And now they're chasing me around and trying to punch me because fatty, fatty, two by four, can't get through the, whatever they say. And, and, and to, to make it worse, my grandmother would buy me these corduroy pants and my thighs would rub and you would hear me so the guy used to love to chase me and beat me because I could make that noise as I ran and so that wasn't good so as I went ahead and continued uh, growing and in, 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 in eating well uh, it just became miserable now imagine as you're overweight uh, trying to die, trying to date you don't really get that much dating uh, opportunities at all so I discovered drugs and alcohol at a young age, and uh, and that was great. And it did it did the same thing, only more intense. The same thing food did for me. It made me feel that reward that oh God yeah this is what I needed. And there was something that food and drugs can do to me. It could really relax me to the point where nothing matters anymore. It's like yeah this is what I needed. And, and I discovered that through drugs and alcohol, and I discovered that through food. It just, and you know what one of my favorite pastimes at that big weight I was 400 pounds there um, was ordering a large large uh, uh, pizza and a, but, but a Diet Coke just to wash down the calories you don't want uh, too much calories so, so that was my favorite thing to do and I would rent movies and put them in the VCR and, and pass out and wake up not even knowing what happened so there was a blackout thing so go figure that one out so my brain has the capacity to use the information called that I'm a victim uh, and then use the very food that's supposed to be nutrition and turn it into a dopamine effect to make me relax. That's amazing. Who wouldn't want that? Hell, put me in. That is what I wanted. And damn it, food was working. The problem is my head says, you know, this is some good shit. But my body's saying, you know, that's not a good idea. Uh, but my body, no, no, Dan, we can do this. And my body's saying, no, Dan, we have diabetes type 2 now. 
Uh, no, no, no. We can do it. We'll just be more moderate. You ever try eating moderate? That's really funny. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, moderate. How do you do that? But anyway, so, and then my body starts developing hypertension, and, and my brain says, no, 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 we could do it differently. And next thing you know, uh, I'm going to the big and tall outlet or stores, you know, and I never saw any tall people in those stores, but just big, you know. And they say to me, you know, we may not have your size if you keep getting bigger. I said, what do you mean? I'm in size 58. Well, it says, well, size 62 is not that. That's the farthest we go. You may have to have them tailor-made. And you know what? Every time at that weight, I only saw myself from the neck down. No, neck up, excuse me. Never saw myself from the neck down. I always had my hair perfect. Everything was right from this way up. From this way down, I hated myself. Hated. Hated, hated, hated myself. Why? Because I was a fat slob, that I was a weak, that if I only lost weight, see, that's from old messages from a kid, that I was a victim. See? So, uh, I, I, I learned to endure, to be entitled, to be rewarded. As a young kid. And you know, alcoholics have the same problem. And we compulsive overeaters have the same thing. We are victims of this disease. Now, at four years old, that's cute. To be like, poor me, poor me. No, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll eat some worms today. I don't know if worms are using your abstinence, but you know, that's basically how you're supposed to cope. But when you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, that's no longer cute. So we have this constant... Obsession. How many of you guys have ever had a song in your head and you just can't get it out of your head? Okay. Just imagine having that thought in your head constantly of, I have to eat. I have to eat. I've got to eat. If I don't eat, I'm going to starve. I have to eat. Oh, my God, I'm getting weak. For crying out loud. That's the obsession of the mind that the alcoholic has. And I have. How do you stop that? How do you stop that chattering, that song to stop playing? You know, how do you stop that song so you can stop hurting yourself? I found out to you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, that if I'm willing to ask God to be willing, forget about losing weight, God just... Out, help me to be willing. And I looked it up in the dictionary, what willing means. It says, it says cheerful compliance. <laughs> I didn't do this cheerfully compliant bullshit. I mean, I was, are you serious? I got to lose weight? Are you crazy? I mean, I'll read the literature. I'll do the writing. I'll go to the meetings. But I'm not going to cut down on the food. Are you nuts? That's the only reward I have at the end of a long day. And it was really funny. At 400 pounds, I'm always tired. You would think I was digging ditches all day long. I'm tired. I'm tired of what, man? Oh, I'm tired. And, and it's amazing how this disease can deceive us like that. So my experience in this thing, and I really appreciate Nancy and Jim, and thank you for, for, for moderating. You know, we are just echoes repeating what's been said long ago. Perhaps today you're just ready to hear. Just perhaps today. This may be your day. See, whoever walked through that door was meant to be here. I understand the 100-pounders are probably got a full house. It's cool. It's cool. Sorry. But those that needed to be here are here today. There are no mistakes in God's world. 
So the thing about getting rid of the enduring to be entitled to be rewarded thing, I had to be willing to accept God's reality. That sucks. See, God makes this day, but I got other plans. And my sponsor says to me, says, Daniel, go out and be happy unless you got other plans. Well, I got other plans. You know, I got shit that hasn't been accomplished. I mean, I got things I got to move on. And I find myself getting frustrated but not doing nothing about it. That's how I live. A victim again. So I get myself all worked up in such a, such a crazy place that the only thing I can do is guess what? I need to eat. And there's my reward, man. See how that disease kind of works like that? Not that I got it all figured out. This is just Daniel's theory. I don't speak for OA, so... If I did, you guys would be in trouble. So the thing what I'm trying to get at is this. Look, there is a cunning, baffling disease that lives in here that manifests itself with anything outside of us, which is called food, alcohol, or drugs. Now, in the alcoholic and the drug addict, you know, you clean them up, shower them up, and call them. You, you can't, they, they're not, they're, they don't look bad at all. But an obese person at size 58, I wear my disease on the outside. You know, I, I, as a young kid, I went to go to the freaking section of the husky size. What the hell is a husky size? If it's not a dog. <laughs> but that's where my grandmother would buy me the husky clothes. You know, and, and then I couldn't fit anymore into the regular normal people's clothes. Now I'm going to be specialized outlets and then I stop looking at myself from the neck down I only look from the neck up and I hated myself I used to beat my body I hate me I hate you I hate you if only this would just go away see I always thought the problem was food and my body that's what the problem is so if I can cut down the food cut down the body everything will be just great wrong here we go again. It's back to that victim mentality. If you think that weight is just your problem, you're a victim. If you still think that anything outside of you has to be fixed in order for you to be right, you've got a victim mentality. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems. Today it's been said in the big book. When I'm uncomfortable, speak to some person, place, or thing, some situation is not going accordingly. I'm a neurotic. I'm uncomfortable about everything. You know, I was talking to someone earlier before that I had a whole week of ordeals. Ordeals. They're not, they're not things I have to do. They're called ordeals. See, because I, I, don't, I don't think little. I think a lot. So, Monday, 4th of July, everybody has somewhere to go. I don't. So, I sat in my apartment. Poor me. In Santa Barbara. Okay. Poor me. Poor me. So I'm sitting there. Poor me. Flipping the channel. For me, finally something in my head says, you know, Dan, why don't you go outside and go walk on the main strip of the, of the town? <sighs> okay, so I walk, and next thing you know, it's a, such a small town, so everybody knows everybody. Next thing you know, people are saying hi to me. Hello, how you doing? Dan? I really like what you said. And I'm saying, really? Really? Oh, now I feel really good. You know what? I'm in time to go to a meeting. Son of a gun. 
From a victim, I felt happy. And I went to a meeting. I came home. That was my ordeal, 4th of July. Second ordeal. Now I've got to go speak in a friggin' high school to 17-year-olds. Uh, it's my ordeal again. I've got to go. Spoke to these kids. All of them were quiet. They were all listening to me. A couple of knuckleheads were talking, but they were, they were listening. And one, they all left. It was summer school. They all left, and all of a sudden, one young lady comes back. She says, would you tell me that equation you talked about alcoholism, how it affects the family again? I said, well, I don't remember how I well, you write it for me. So she wrote it on the chalkboard. I said, oh, it's like this, this, this. And you can see her eyes open, like, oh, my God, I've never seen that. I needed to know that. I touched one person's life. I touched one person's life. But it's all about me. You don't understand. You don't understand. If you only knew the shit I've gone through, you'd want to. You'd want. You'd want to hide too. I'm a victim. I endure to be entitled to be rewarded, and that's what I did with food. So, the food being the symptom, I had to start letting it go. My association with food today is nutrition. Yes, there's some good food, very delicious food. But I don't eat bark, twigs, and leaves. You know, I have to feed this body, but I feed it. I was talking to someone earlier, this is just water, it's going to hydrate me. It's not going to reward me for this hassle that I have to stand here at the podium to stare and look at you people. No. It's just to hydrate me. Excuse me. You guys don't make me drink, but you should get me thirsty. So anyway, the point what I'm trying to get at is this. Look, we have a disease and there's a way of dealing with it. And you can do it if you're willing to do your part and to ask God to be willing. God, don't keep, get me away from being a victim and help me to be willing. Now, here's another thing we have to take in common. And notice, if we die today, this is as good as a God. Life is not a rehearsal. If we die today, this is as good as you What are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Oh, well, I'm waiting for that someday when some person, something, something happens and this, I'll be happy. Once again, the mentality of being a victim. You need to have it today. God is giving you today. And I was talking to someone earlier. I said, you know, right now as we're talking, all our needs are being met. If we're just willing to stay here right now, don't go into the future where your anxiety lives and don't go into the past where your depression lives. Stay here. And I was telling her, I said, you know, a sponsor of mine walked around barefoot and I said, why are you doing that, man? You look like a nut. He says, it keeps me present. I said, are you crazy? Just try it. Try it. I'll show you. You're wrong. So I took off my shoes and I walked, and I walked my dog barefooted. Son of a gun. You step on one pebble, boy, do you get back into reality. Holy cow. And I was present the whole time I walked that damn dog. <laughs> so there's another behind the madness. Am I done? Okay. The point what I'm trying to get at is this. We have a disease that lives in the past and lives in the future. Constantly. Back and forth. Depression, anxiety. Depression, anxiety. Depression, anxiety. <clears throat> we also have a disease that says you have to be perfect. Okay. When I took speed, which I, I really like, black beauties, 
All it did was make me eat faster. <laughs> you know, and the doctor's saying, I don't understand. You're gaining more weight. I said, I don't know, doc. I'm taking them. So for some people, it just doesn't work like that. I'm here to tell you, God has brought us here today. If you're willing to accept that. If you're willing to ask God, help me to be willing. Here's another one. God is not a genie. He's not Santa Claus. I never do a honey-do list. God, if you do this, I promise I'll do this. If you do that, I promise I will. No, that's done. Today I just ask God, your will be done, not mine. Your will be done. Because I don't know what's good for me. What good for me, I was at 400 pounds. I accept life the way it is. I may not like it, but eventually I'll accept it. Today my day ends at 12 o'clock midnight. So anything that happens today was meant to be. So I was talking to someone about the 405 closing down. You know, I was driving down here and said, God damn it, they're going to close the 405. They're going to close the 405. They haven't closed the 405. I'm already working, worrying about next week. I don't even live here. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? Holy shit, they're going to close the 405. Yeah, you live in Santa Barbara, you idiot. Oh, but what about those poor people? Who gives a shit? See how the brain works? You let go, let God. Or let go or get dragged. It's up to you. In life, do I want to be happy or do I want to be correct? Huh? I lived life being correct, sleeping on the sofa for a long time. Showed her. And I'll leave you with this one. When people offend me, hurt me, always remember, hurt people, hurt people. Hold on to that. And one more thing. God doesn't have grandchildren. God doesn't have grandchildren. You're just as much a, God, a child of God as I am. So is your children. Your children belong to God. That's his, that's his, their father. You're not in charge of them. A lot of us suffer from grave emotional problems along with codependency. Is there hope in here and, and over to them? Yes, there is. But the only requirement is that you have the desire to stop eating compulsively. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Does somebody have the basket basket? Up here. Oh, thank you. Okay. So we will now have questions from the Ask It Basket, and I will read the questions, and then if it's directed to a specific speaker or to anybody who will volunteer. All right. First question, what do you do if you have personality conflict with another member? Does anybody want to answer this? With another from OA? Uh, just said another... Uh, I would imagine OA member. One of the hardest things as a compulsive overreader is I have a delusional brain. I really think because we're here, we're all perfect. So, you know, you don't have emotional problems. And you're very consistent. You like to see me all the time. And so I have these high expectations. So when you don't say hi to me and you don't look at me, I'm a very sensitive person. 
remember, I have to be correct. And what happens there is conflict arises because I have expectations of people, places, and things. You know? If I don't have expectations of people, places, and things, guess what? My serenity level starts increasing and my expectations start getting lower. Now, if you guys can combine both of those, let me know. I'm working on that. So I've had differences with people in the fellowship, of course. But you know what? Their child has got to have their opinion, too. I respect it. I agree to disagree. But I'm not about to kick them out of the program. Who am I to say that? You know? I love all you guys, but I don't like all of you. You know, that's the basic of how it's supposed to be. I hope that answers it. I, thank you. Anybody else want to answer that? Uh, you know, I, I, I had the same experience as Dan. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I keep going. I don't stop going to the meeting. Uh, and and um, that's just another lesson for me on acceptance and really working with people. You know, I, I, I admit I have personality problems with people, but the first thing I do is I keep going to that meeting. And, 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 it's a, and, it's, and if I can really flip it, for me, it's acceptance and accepting that everybody in that meeting exactly who they are you know, like, like the person who always comes in late and leaves early, you know, and, and I can judge that person, and, and, but I don't know their, I don't know what they're thinking, but it's a lesson for me on that. I think it's 400 and something on acceptance. And, and I just, uh, turn it to, turn it inside me and say, uh, what am I doing, uh, inside myself? Anyway, that, that's a good question. Thank you. Great question, uh, Nancy, great compulsive eater. Uh, you know what, I was sitting there listening to these gentlemen talking, and I thought, I really don't have any problems with personality um, until Jim got up. <laughs> I'll tell you what my personality pro over principles problem is, and the people I have a problem. I sit in OA meetings where people are sucking on designer coffees that they paid five bucks for, and when the seventh tradition comes around, they I don't, I don't have to say a word. I don't even know what's coming around. They'll pass it over to me and they'll say, well, you know, I've been in three meetings today, so I already made it. And all I do is look at that. I, I don't know why that bothers me. I, because generally if I get pissed at somebody, I say, God, what's going on here? Why, why did that upset me? Or why did that make me angry? Or why, why do I have a problem? But when that happens, because you know what? I believe with every fiber of my being, especially the way the world is going today, if we appreciate this program and if we love it, we need to support it as well as each other. And that really bothers me. And and if I sit next to you and you do that to me, I'm going to make my amend ahead of time. But don't, it, it'll still piss me off. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. We have uh, just one other question. Um, at a big convention, how do you feel like part of the group? How do you not isolate when you don't know anyone? Any takers? Daniel Compulsive Reader. Um, you know, I'm an isolated by nature. You know, if you've noticed me, if you saw me out there, I was sitting over there by the literature. I'm really just isolating. 
Um, perhaps because I'm nervous because I was going to speak, yeah, perhaps of that, but I do that by nature. But I've, I've advanced a little more where I will get up and talk and say hi to introduce myself to you and say hi. And, and fortunately, I'm very blessed to know a lot of people here for many years. So that also makes a feel. But I'm also going to learn uh, meet some new people as well. But isolation is the core of my disease. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's been said, you know, isolation is the dark room where I develop my negatives. And that's so true for me. So I'm not planning anything good, you know, I'm like planning whatever I should get out of here. I don't mind my hair, blah, blah, blah. When the first time that I went to, to Serenity Sunday, that was the first time they invited me to be there. They said, we need someone to be a greeter next week. And the lady they invited me says, he'll do it. I said, what? Now, this is a friggin' over 100 friggin' people, and I don't know no one. And next thing, next week, Kiss is there greeting. Hi, I'm Daniel. Hi, I'm Daniel. I got to meet everybody. So recovery helps us a little bit to move on from our isolation. We'll become a little more comfortable, you know. And if I should screw up and say something to you, I'd rather say, you know what? I'd rather eat crow while it's warm than when it's cold. You know what I mean? That's what the 10 steps all about. Thank you. I remember when I was, um, oh, a couple of years in program and I had lost my weight and, and um and I went through this period where um, I would call my sponsor and I would wah, 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 wah. And, um, and most of the time it was because I was heading back into isolation. And she spotted it, but I didn't see. And it was, as somebody mentioned before, um, I, w- I would love to be the victim. If I could play any role in life, that would, you know, that, that's the role that I would choose is the victim because then that gives me a free ride, e-ticket, if you will. Um, back to the food. And and I didn't know that, but I would call her up and I would go into my, well, I well, should say, call a newcomer, click. So I'd dial her back up and I'd say, but I don't have any phone numbers. And she'd say, get them, click. Which meant I had to get my butt out to a meeting. And and when you're at a big convention, and and you know what, I have a couple of roommates that I thought were coming in last night, and they didn't. And so, you know, I've just been kind of on my own today, but there's always somebody that's going to have lunch alone. There's always somebody sitting in a meeting. The biggest thing that they told me that will keep me out of isolation is how can I help a newcomer? And I don't know if you're a newcomer or if you've been around 25 years sitting in here. But if I start having those poor me, I don't have anybody to hang out with or I don't have anybody to talk to, you can expect that I may slide into a seat next to you and say, you know, I'm Nancy and I'm a gratefully recovering compulsive eater. Where are you from? And that type of thing. Because I've learned that that's the one-way ticket out of the refrigerator. See, and and that and I just have to get out of my own head. This is a bad neighborhood up here. You don't want to live there very long, you know. But I've got to get out of myself because that's where I isolate is in myself. I mean, that's what the meaning of it is. So I need to get out of myself. And when I start feeling those feelings of just discomfort, I have to remember that I wasn't put on this earth to be comfortable. I was put on this earth to give service. And I need, and the best service sometimes is the service I can give to me. And that's to say, how are you today? Is there anything I can do for you? Or can I help you? Or 
where are you going? If are you going my way or I mean it's it's real simple and it's the smallest, smallest overture always brings results. Thanks. Anybody else? Does anybody else have any other questions? There were no other questions in the ask it basket. There's actually two more. Do you believe it's important in the meeting to share our weakness and our struggles? As it said, it is over weakness, not our strength, that bind us together. I was taught earlier in OA that there are things that you share in a meeting and there's things that you don't. And and we had, they told me, strange word, no dumping. And uh, it was brought home when I was sitting in a meeting and, and uh, this woman came in. I'd been, oh, I'd been here about a year or so, you know, and, and this woman came in and she was sitting and she was talking. And we were talking about how annoyed she was with her son who wouldn't take out the trash. And she just kept going over and over this and, and wanting to know uh, wh what to do about this teenage son who wouldn't take out the trash. And this was really a problem with her. And, um, and so after the meeting was over, I said to my sponsor, how could we have helped her? And she said, we couldn't. She was dumping. Whenever I take anything to the meeting table and I share it with you, that you have absolutely no power over, nor do I, and there is absolutely no solution, that's dumping. Those are the things that I'm supposed to call up my sponsor. My sponsor said to me, that's why I have three ears, is because I can hear what mood you're in, I can hear where you're heading with that third ear, and I can tell you when to stop. You don't take things like that to a meeting. You call me and you dump in my ear if you have to. And, and, but what you take to the meeting, sure, we take our problems there, but it's not a group therapy session. It's a support group. And so it's, I believe it's a grave injustice to you if I bring something that is a personal problem that you have, there's nothing you can do about it, you know. So one of the things that she said to me that I can, I can discern the difference is when I'm annoyed with something, some person, place, or thing that's going to drive me to the fetal position inside the refrigerator, I need to say, do, step one, do I have any power over this? Do the people at my meeting have any power over this? Can they help me out of this? And most of the time, the answer will come, whether it's appropriate to share at the meeting or not. Because otherwise, you're just taking a valuable meeting time and, and, um, and wearing other people down that they, they can't help you with, see? And that's what we're there is. We're there to get help from, so that we won't compulsively eat things. I think chiming in, Daniel, um, you know, I was thought also, you know, there are things that you share 
at a group level and share things that you share with your sponsor. And um, you focus on the solution. The solution gets bigger. You focus on the problem. The problem gets bigger. It's up to you. They both take the same effort. Uh, I am geared to think negative, so I will always think the worst of any scenario. So I need to go to a meeting to, like Nancy was saying, as, as a fellow member, yeah, I have things that irritate me. I have things that frustrate me. Yes, it scare me. But you know, I know the, I know the, 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 the response or the results or the, the, the answer to that. And this is step two. I came to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. And that's called a group. That's where the sanity comes back. I rarely leave a, pro, a, a, a meeting feeling worse than when I got in. You guys are storming to sanity. Like I've said it before, meetings are like the beehives. All week long I'm out there gathering pollen. But I need to come back to the beehive to get centered, to be amongst you guys. So focus on the solution or focus on the problem. Thank you. I'm Jim Compulsive Reader again. Yeah. You know, um, that, uh, just a side thing, every time I call and whine to my sponsor, he won't let me talk. He, he tells me to go read about, uh, acceptance and, uh, and so I can read his mind now. I can, I start, I don't have to call him up. I know what I have to do. But, but anyway, that, that's not what we're talking about, you know. Um, you know, for me, you know, it's real hard for me to accept. I'm the quiet one and, 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 uh, I, I don't share a lot at the meetings, but, and I, and I hear complaints, uh, from, from a lot of people sometimes at certain meetings. Well, that's an old negative meeting, you know, or, or that's a real downer thing. And, and, and the question here is, what, what are we going to share about? And, and, uh, it's my responsibility as a member of this meeting to share these, to share the program. And, and, if, and, 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 and I'm not going to complain. And if I'm, I find myself complaining about the sharing, I'm not sharing enough about, about the miracle. And this is a miracle. And, and, and our speakers have told you what, you know, we know it's a miracle. And there's hope for everybody here. So, uh, if, if, if I'm going to be, I'm not going to complain about a meeting unless, and, and if there's a meeting that's a little negative, then maybe I should be sharing some more and sharing the hope. Thank you very much. Thank you. This question is for Nancy. After 37 plus years, do you still weigh yourself? No. I found when I, when I got back from um, relapse, I found that the scale had too much power over me. I, um, if I get on a scale, those, every time I blink my eyes, those are the numbers that I see. And unless they are in double digits, I'd want to come back and weigh again in 15 minutes after I've run around the block three times. See, uh, it's just too much power over me. I do have a pair of pants that I've had for 20 years. And, uh, and that's kind of my marker. When those pants get too tight, 
I know I better put the brakes on. And um, and incidentally, that was that was about the time that I went through menopause that I got those pants, you know. So I had to readjust my thinking on that. But there's just something about the numbers on a scale. Telephone numbers don't have that same power over me, you know. And and prices in the supermarket don't have that same kind of power over me. But there's something about the numbers on a scale that just um, they just get fuzzy with my brain. And so I just find that I don't. I um, I do have other markers that I can use, and they're not nearly as dangerous to me. Thanks. So I looked through the basket again, and there wasn't any other questions. But it, we still have about ten minutes. Is there any other? We can field any questions from the audience. So just for the recording, there's a question about the importance of sponsorship. I have a sponsor. I've always had a sponsor because I found out early in this program I cannot do without him. My current sponsor has 41 years in Overeaters Anonymous, and she's been abstinent since day one. And um, she has a sponsor who also has a sponsor. And when you get beyond that, they're old enough they're dead. But at any rate, um, uh, when I got ready to move to California, uh, it's almost 22 years ago now, my sponsor back in Michigan that I'd had for 13 years after I came out of uh, uh, relapse and I had to get a new sponsor, my sponsor said, um, you're going to a different land. You're going to a foreign land, if you will. And, uh, and she said, you need to have a sponsor and you need to have women that you sponsor. And she said the same thing that she had told me about every decision that I made in my life. Every decision starts on your knees. And she said, you need to pray that God will send you the right person to be your sponsor and the right people to sponsor. And let God do his job then, or its job. And I prayed as I drove across this country. I prayed all the way across this country, God, send me the right sponsor. Because you know what? I know without a sponsor, I can't make it. You know, I don't know what your attitude is, and it doesn't make any important important me, but I do know I can't make it in this program without a sponsor. And um, and I prayed, and I was in uh, California about uh, three weeks, and a friend of mine that I knew uh, from service in a in a service position in OA had a party for me, and um, and the people that she invited, well, we had like a little mini meeting, and as we went around the room, I heard my sponsor share. And there was just something right then and there I knew. She's the one that uh, God had brought into my life. And she's very unassuming, and she, um, you know, she doesn't get in, involved in a whole lot of, of flap and affair or everything, but she's got a good, strong program. And, and I asked her, and um, I must say I was happy, but I was not really amazed uh, when she said, yes, I'll sponsor you. And that has been a relationship since almost 22 years. And uh, she was going to be here this weekend, 
and participate in the long timer panel, but she um, had a family obligation that came up at the last minute, so she couldn't make it. So uh, Carol sends you her love. The same thing happened with the people I sponsor. Um, when some, someone comes to me and asks me to sponsor them, um, uh, I, I always pray about it, even if it's an instant prayer. Because I, I kind of try, I have a different approach to this prayer and meditation thing. I kind of try to stay in a state of prayer all the time. I pray a lot in my car. I pray in the shower. I pray, you know, I just, just everything. And if I've got anything that's bugging me, I just say, well, you know what, God, we still got this business here on earth. But, um, but I need to sponsor, um, uh, somebody. And, um, and I haven't had a shortage of candidates yet, you know, and, uh, and God just brings the right people into my life. They don't always work out, but he, but it, but my higher power gives both that person and me intuitively how to know. And, and I have to keep in mind that in Overeaters Anonymous, we can change sponsors at will without necessarily leaving on hard feelings, see. And sometimes it's just not a match, you know. But there was a season for it, you know. And in the Old Testament in the Bible, it says there's a season for everything. You know, a time to grow and a time to reap and, and that type of thing. And that's the way, to me, sponsorship is, is that there is a particular time for everything. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you know what, I don't want you to sponsor me anymore. And I say, you know, God love you. Um, it's been a great relationship and and one that I honor and I embraced it. But I do hope you will at least get another sponsor. Because I think everybody that walks through the doors of OA needs to have a sponsor. If, if nothing else, it's just somebody to look at and say, I don't know, you know. Um, but but it's, a, it's a relationship that develops that's totally different from any kind of a family thing. And, um, and then, you know, I'm just a one-person sponsor. I have a tendency because God puts those people in my, my path at the time that I need it. I have a tendency to want to stay with that person. And so, um, you know, we don't always agree, but we agree to disagree sometimes. And, um, and, and that's, that's the way it works. I think it's a very special re- relationship. And for me, it, it is a relationship that is um, uh, ordained by my higher power. And, and I treasure that and, um, and wouldn't change it for the world. Thanks. We have about two minutes. Quick two minutes, Daniel Composable Reader. <clears throat> Being a sponsor and a sponsee. Okay. Um, I, have a, I sponsor a 77-year-old man, Marty. And I teach on Tuesday nights, so I, I, um, I like to sleep in on Tuesday mornings. And I say, Marty, don't call me in the morning at 7 o'clock because i got to teach that and I want to sleep a little late. Oh, okay. So he calls me up at 7 o'clock in the morning. That's friggin' Tuesday. Mar- Marty, don't, don't call me. And, and, and he calls me again. <clears throat> so this time I didn't answer the phone. And the phone rang again at 7 o'clock. And I'm really pissed. I said, I'm going to blow him out of the water. What the hell's wrong with him? Doesn't he understand me? i got to work late. So I pick up the phone and I listen to the message. He says, hey, Dan, I just wanted to call you up and let you know that everything's okay. My wife and I were getting along, blah, blah, blah. Know your love. How can you get it? So what do I do now? I put it on vibrate. 
Now, as me being a sponsee, when I started working where I am now, in the same parking lot we have a CVS. So before my classes on Tuesday, I would love to. I'd lo I would go into CVS and buy a Diet Coke, five o'clock because by five fifteen I start my class starts. Right, so I drink it, you know. And and I ran into that store and 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 these elderly are everywhere in and the cashiers trying to write checks and can't hear shit and they got coupons. And I'm motioning to the young lady, look, I, I just got a Diet Coke, get me out of here. She says, no, no, well, they were here for, uh, oh, shit. So for three weeks, this shit go on. And I call my sponsor. I said, Don, you're not going to believe this shit. There's an ordinance in Santa Barbara that releases the elderly into CVS every goddamn at 5 o'clock. I'm bummed. <laughs> he says, are you shitting me? I says, no, they're there, man. And I'm late for my classes. And he says, have you ever thought of just buying a case and keeping it in your, in your office? Sponsor, sponsor. Thank you. So please help me thank the speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. It's now time to close this session. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by, let's do the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thy will. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. Amen. He's going back. Thank you.